Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Mind on Mental Health podcast. My name is Andy Dean, and I'm a licensed clinical social worker. And today is the second part of my conversation with Chelsea DeMeo, who is also a licensed clinical social worker and a senior primary therapist at Penn Medicine Princeton House Behavioral Health's Child and Adolescent Intensive Outpatient Program in Hamilton, New Jersey. Today, Chelsea is going to be discussing the six levels of validation and how we can really use this tool to communicate with our kids and let them know that we understand what it is that they're going through. All right, so we just gave a couple of examples of situations where you might be able to use this skill of of validating the way someone's feeling by just kind of pointing out the emotion that they're feeling, right? So it sounds like you're feeling pretty anxious about this. This really has you feeling nervous or, you know, I can see that you're really angry. That's one way to validate someone. Are there other ways to think about how to validate people? Are there other things you can do to help someone feel validated? So one thing I really like to keep in mind, Annie, when I'm talking to parents is the six levels of validation. So the six levels of validation is a really great guide in when you're trying to be more skillful interpersonally. So if you find that you are struggling to feel effective when interacting in certain relationships, this is a really great way for you to feel more skillful and for you to feel more effective. It describes how we can help ourselves in times where we're really struggling to maybe agree with another person's point of view or come from a place of understanding. You know, if we're, if we're struggling with that, it allows us to show other ways that we're trying to support that person without necessarily having to agree and say, oh, yeah, you're right. Or, oh, yeah, I agree, you know, completely with, you know, what you're saying or what you're doing. It allows us some pointers of, you know, simple ways that we can we can show that we're really trying to show up for someone and and be there to support them without necessarily having to agree with them. Great, because this completely ties into what we were talking about before about wanting to validate the experience, but not necessarily the behavior. Exactly. So where do we start? What's the first level in this six levels of validation? Yeah, so at minimum on this on this first level, we're just trying to pay attention. We're just trying to look interested that quite literally we're not sleeping, that we're awake and we are giving eye contact and that we are trying to stay focused. It's really about being able to push distractions to the side and really show that we are there with that person. It could include nodding, you know, smiling at statements that you perceive as happy statements, looking concerned when you're hearing something that might be painful for the other person. We really don't want to be multitasking when we're doing this. Cause, and I know as parents, as adults, we've all learned how to multitask. We just haven't learned how to sometimes be present with one thing in the moment. So It's really about giving your focus to that person in both verbal and nonverbal ways. So really the easiest way to sum this up is just showing the other person that you're paying attention. Exactly. I think that life can be so stressful that we learn because we have to how to multitask 
different things. And I think that takes away from our relationships, especially when our teen, you know, maybe is coming into the kitchen and they just kind of want to sit down and, t- and talk to you about something. And maybe, you know, you have the TV on or maybe, you know, you're cooking dinner. Understandably, you have to get those tasks done. So let's say your teen comes downstairs and you're watching a show on on the TV and they want to talk to you about something. It could be as simple as, you know, just turning the TV off, giving your your full attention to them so they feel like you're really there with them. So they feel like you're really, you know, trying to pay attention to, mm-hmm. to what they're saying. A big part of this is cell phones. I talk to the, my teen so much about this, how even when you're out to dinner or if you're having dinner with family and someone's trying to talk to you about something and how many times do you see someone you know looking down at their phone and then looking up looking down at their phone and then looking up acting like they're really with you when really how could they be because they're they're kind of splitting their their attention um, so putting those phones away, really trying to limit you know the distractions so you feel like that person's really with you in that moment. Mm-hmm. The second level of validation that's really important is reflective listening. This is a tool that I always go over with my parents and my teens and actually have them engage in some exercises when we do family uh, sessions because I think it really allows someone to make sure that they're getting what that person is saying. Because sometimes I think when a teen or when a parent is expressing, you know, their feelings about something, on the receiving end of that, you know, we might be making our defense <laughs> while that person is talking or trying to think about, okay, what am I going to say to this person yes. in response yep. to what they're saying? And then we're missing the point, you know, because the whole point of it is to really be able to hear and and understand where that person's coming from. So reflecting back is without interpretation, without judgment, without assumption, repeating back exactly what you heard. So we already talked a little bit about what reflective listening looks like. I guess I'm wondering if you can just give me another quick example. Yeah. So reflective listening is a way that we show that we're not using any judgmental language or even voice tone, being very mindful of the way our tone of voice sounds. And it's an opportunity for us to really try and and get what that person feels or thinks and have an open mind to that. So asking the person, so this is what I'm hearing you, you say, am I getting that right? I think that's an important piece to reflective listening, saying, really trying to say exactly what they just said, and then asking, did I get that right? Because I think that gives them the opportunity to correct you and being open to that correction as a way to understand them better and not necessarily a punitive or defensive action. The The goal of this, the idea of this is, is to really feel like you're understanding and getting what the person is trying to say. So it's really a chance for us to not focus on disagreeing or criticizing or trying to change the person's mind or goals. It's it's really so we can make sure that we understand them. So I wonder if this also falls under the category of kind of clarifying what they're saying. For example, if a kid is to come to you and say, I'm really pissed because my friend said they could have hang out today, but then I just looked on TikTok and they were posting videos of them hanging out at the park. How might you respond to that if you're using reflective listening? So if I was a therapist in this scenario and the team was coming to me telling me this, I would really go to where the feeling is, really acknowledging and validating the the feelings of being pissed off. So you're telling me that you're pissed off because your friend who said they couldn't hang out 
was actually posting videos with your other friends on TikTok. Am I, am I getting that right? And I would kind of ask, like you said, Andy, for that clarifying, that clarifying question, just to make sure that I'm getting it all. And if I'm missing a part of it, that allows or gives them the opportunity to let me know what part I missed. So then I can reflect back again to make sure I really got it. That tool alone can be so, so useful and so valuable in trying to help a teen understand, you know, their emotions and how they're tied to their thoughts and tied to their behaviors. Got it. So I guess I specifically gave you that example because there's probably not only the feeling of being angry going on there. There's probably disappointment, you know, betrayal, sadness, because the kid in this situation is probably feeling pretty left out even though they're identifying the emotion as being angry in the moment. So does that kind of tie into this step as well? Or is that maybe a different step in terms of the six steps of validation? I think that actually ties into the third step of the six levels of validation, which is reading minds. Now, interesting, because I just said, you know, don't make assumptions, don't, you know, make interpretations. However, it's also important to be able to essentially read between the lines with things that aren't being said based on, you know, the person's emotional expressions, or like you had just brought up someone saying they're pissed off or they're feeling angry. You know, as the therapist, I can understand that anger is a secondary emotion and that there are so many other emotions underneath that. So I might try to use my reading minds a little bit by trying to tease that out with the patient or or trying to get them to connect other um, emotions to the experience that they're having. Because I think sometimes we do focus maybe um, on the one feeling of being angry or being pissed off in, in that moment. And we're missing, like you said, the feelings of hurt, the feelings of rejection, the feelings of disappointment, which are all so important and valuable emotions to feel and, and work through. So being sensitive essentially to what is not being said as much as what is being said, paying attention to facial expressions, body language, and also what you know about the person already. So if you know that this person is very active in their social circle and you know they've really kind of made this really great group of friends, it would make even more sense then to hear how devastated they are to be turned down when asking to hang out and then seeing that this group of, of people is hanging out without them, you know, just devastating to them. So I, I think that that's, you know, a, a really important piece as well. Yeah. And I guess I'm just thinking, not always, but oftentimes that emotion of feeling angry is maybe a little bit safer of a place for teenagers to go, specifically boys, they may not readily admit to feeling sad or disappointed or hurt. And they may not have as much of an issue identifying, hey, I'm really angry. It almost feels like a safer emotion for them to identify a lot of times when they're talking to parents or whoever. Sure. And and you actually brought up you know, one of the the words you just used, like a safe emotion, you know, and what is a safe emotion depending on the person. And, and I think that it takes a lot of vulnerability to be able to connect with those other parts of yourself, not just the angry part, but the sad part and the excited part and the frustrated part and the devastated part and the happy part, you know, all of those different parts of ourselves. And I know you bring up the idea of 
you know, men or males in general having, you know, a difficult time connecting, you know, with their emotions. And, and I think that goes back to modeling, you know, and what's kind of put out culturally and, and socially as, you know, normal emotions experienced by men. I think it's important for us to model that I know you're saying you're pissed off. I know you're saying you're angry and, and I hear it and I see it and I believe it and I know it's real for you. And let's tease that out a little bit. You know, I, I'm wondering what came before the anger. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I think that's an important piece. Yeah, no, I agree. Another important part, I think, to this level, the the read minds is it might be a situation where you're just looking at someone, and we've all been in this scenario, whether we're on the receiving end or you know we're the person approaching someone, where maybe they look upset. You know, they're slumped over. They, um, you know, are frowning. They maybe are tearful. And by, you know, showing validation in this way or, you know, reading minds, um, we might say to them like, hey, you know, you look really upset. Um, how are you feeling? And, and that's a way that we're showing that we see them. We see their, their physicality. We're, we're, you know, seeing that they're upset and we're not ignoring it. We're approaching them and, and trying to, you know, show that we're there to support them. Right. And that's just a good example, I think, of, you know, there's multiple ways to communicate. It's not just people telling you, hey, I'm feeling this way or whatever. It's like the, the verbal component. There's also the nonverbal component. If someone's sitting down, they're slouched over and they look upset, you know, it's pretty safe to assume that they might be sad or upset or exactly. whatever. Exactly. All right. So we just talked about the first three levels, one, two, and three. So help me understand what the fourth level is here. So the fourth level of validation is understand. And That is something I feel like we touched upon earlier about how important it is to show that we are understanding where that person is coming from and kind of understanding or communicating rather to another person that their feelings and thoughts and actions make sense and are understandable to you in a a particular situation. So what that might look like is, and, you know, I'll kind of bring back our earlier example Um, you know, the teen who's feeling really anxious about going to school in the morning because of that presentation, instead of saying, oh, you know, it's not that big of a deal. You're going to be great. Even just saying you're going to be great feels dismissive to their experience because we might, you know, know in our hearts that they're capable and that they're competent and yet they don't believe it in that moment. So that can come off invalidating to them. Rather us being able to tell them, you know, that that makes a lot of sense. I, I know that it's hard for you to be in front of people and it's hard for you to have to present <laughs> in front of people. So it makes a lot of sense to me why you're feeling so anxious. I get that. So what this kind of sounds like to me is just watching it with the reassurance. Like sometimes we'll try to reassure someone in hopes that it'll make them feel better. But in reality, it can actually be quite invalidating. Sure. Right? So uh, like you said, if, you're, if your teenager's got to give an, a presentation in front of their class and they say that they're really anxious about it, and then we try to reassure them by saying, you know, you're going to be great. It's, it's no big deal. You're, you're fine. You're really good at this stuff that's going to feel invalidating to their experience. Right. And it doesn't mean that you can't say that at some point <laughs> to show support. You obviously want to you know, encourage them and, and say, you know, I, I believe that you're going to do a great job and you've worked so hard on this. It doesn't mean there's not a place for that. I just wouldn't lead with that automatically. Mm-hmm. You know, again, I think there's a time and a place. And I think a good rule of thumb for this part of validation is, you know, using maybe a tool of it makes sense that you blank because blank. So when you're trying to think about what, how do I phrase this or how do I say this, you can say, you know, a, a statement like that. It makes sense that you 
X because Y. So in that example, it would be, it makes sense that you're feeling anxious because it's really scary to talk in front of your peers. Exactly. And actually five is, is pretty similar to what we were talking about previously in that it's talking about acknowledging the valid. So showing that you see that the person's thoughts, feelings, or actions are valid given the current reality and the facts, the, you know, the facts, the logic of the situation. And, you know, we're really trying to show that the person's behavior, let's say, in this, in this instance, um, makes sense to us. So we don't want to validate the invalid. We just want to validate the valid, <laughs> which is a good mm-hmm. rule of thumb. So I'll, again, I'll bring it back to that example we gave with the son becoming really, really um, escalated, really upset, and then punching the wall. I'm not going to acknowledge the fact that you punch the wall as a valid behavior. However, I am going to acknowledge the thoughts maybe you had that led to you getting really, really escalated, really upset, and then punching the wall if there's facts and logic that support it. So actually, it sounds like five really ties into what we've been talking about this whole time in terms of validating the emotion, not the behavior necessarily. Exactly. And there, and there certainly are times where, you know, the behavior um, is valid depending on, you know, the circumstance with the, you know, example we're using, obviously we don't want to condone destructive behavior or, you know, physical violence as a way to express intense emotions that we have. So, you know, we want to be careful in what we're validating. Yes. All right. So that's one through five. And what's, what's the last one? What's number six? Yeah, so the final the final level is show equality. So this one we also kind of spoke to in that this is where you can really bring in your radically genuine self of of being yourself. Show the other person that, you know, you're equal, you're not incompetent, they're not incompetent, that they're not fragile. Uh, we don't want to fragilize them. We want to empower them and, and we don't want to one-up them or one-down them. So I think we were kind of speaking to that about a parent wanting to bring in some wisdom to help support the teen in the situation where they're feeling anxious about the presentation. Yes, that there's a time and there's a place for that. However, in a situation or in the immediacy of, of the teen telling you that they're feeling anxious about this, that could come across as a one-up. Um, you know, that, oh, I'm going to tell you about my experience. Another example of a way that we one up is, oh, you're feeling anxious about that. Well, let me tell you about my day. You know what I mean? We don't, we don't want to make it about us. We, we really want the focus to be on them and, and we want the focus to be on them expressing themselves effectively. Yeah. It's one of those ideas of, you know, you see this happen all the time in your friend group and your family and your at work one person says, yeah, I had a miserable day. You know, this happened and this happened. And then the next person comes up and says, oh, well, yeah, that sucks. But, you know, I found out that my wife is filing for divorce today. So, you know, mm. your day really wasn't that bad or you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't. It's this idea of this constant one-upmanship. Exactly. Exactly. And it doesn't mean that that person's experience is any less valid. And yet, is it the right time to, to, to say that when someone is, you know, also trying to share that they had, you know, a bad weekend? Yeah. yeah you know what exactly. I'm saying? So yeah, I, I think that it doesn't mean that one is worse than the other. It's just all about how we present the information. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning into the podcast. Next week, I'll be putting up the final podcast with Chelsea. 
where we're gonna be talking about how to increase the feeling of psychological safety with your kids and really what that means. So I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast and found it useful. We'll see you next time.